0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad.
1: Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath. I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger, my rollerblading blonde Mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile of the Port Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket older Drew Gear. And that's not my producer Chris Krueger. Um, uh, that's not anybody. This is me coming to you live from the bar in my basement. Yeah, Chris decided that comedy was more important than you know, taking a romantic, you know, week half week getaway trip with your significant other is more important than a Bill's podcast, apparently. What a bunch of bullshit. What a softie. I, I swear to God. Sometimes I, I don't. It's almost like I don't know what happened. Chris, you know, Chris was never that guy. Right? Not lovey-dovey romantic weekend trip to go. We're going to go liquor shopping. He's like. I love Chris and Jess is amazing. He doesn't. She's way better than he is. I like her more than I like him, I think. But realistically, here's what I love about their relationship is that Chris went from the guy who swore off ever having anything to do with women again after his divorce to now. He's like that. He's like that version of Frank, the tank from old school, except he hasn't botched it. Like he's not going to botch it. He's just going to like, uh, he'll, he's like, I don't know. We're gonna go to Best, Be you know, we're, we're gonna go to uh, the Bed Bath and Beyond. We're gonna run a bunch of errands. Maybe take a day trip down and just look at the water. I don't know. Maybe we'll have time to grab a beer. Maybe I'm being too hard on him, but it is funny that he left me alone to my own devices. Because one thing, like guys, I I think I deserve a lot of credit for putting this all together and doing a solo pod. Don't you? This is what happens when Chris leaves me alone to my own devices. Uh, the Podtrack device we use has all sorts of delicious little like. And he absolutely despises it. He thinks it's the worst thing. It, it, you know, it makes the, every producer bone in his body rails against it, which is why I think I enjoy the sound effects so much, because they are cheesy. It is hack. And realistically, if it's just me in a basement with no professional producer, uh, I mean, he did hook me up with a great setup down here. So I guess it is pro, pro equipment. But, you know, a, a glass in my hand. This is the farthest thing from a professional production. So I think I'm allowed a little bit of hackery. You know who's not allowed a little bit of hackery? The Buffalo Bills running backs this year. And that's kind of where we kick this off. Uh, This installment of the Bills Camp Basics. We're talking about running backs and special teams players. We're going to start by taking a look at the running back position. So in terms of cost, right, just dollars and cents, the Buffalo Bills have probably one of the... Mid range groups of running backs in football. Their their cap, total cap cost is just 3.71% of the cap, which is 16th in the NFL, so they're right smack in the middle of things. And it comes in at about 8.4 million, which if you think about what that means in terms of the value of what we're paying, like Leonard Floyd's gonna make about 9 million, I believe, 7 or somewhere between 7 and 9 on the contract he just signed with the Buffalo Bills. And in the, his one contract is more expensive than our entire running back room. That's pretty solid from a team construction standpoint, from a cap management standpoint, because obviously you, you hope that what you're going to get is more bang for your buck than some of the teams that are paying more than you. And I mean, there are some out there who I think right now, just in terms of dead money, in terms of teams that chose to move on from players, there are going to be football teams that rue what is a, what is an expensive running back room. I mean, look, Ezekiel Elliott's still out there without a job because the Cowboys realized they were staring down the barrel of a really expensive running back room that, I don't know, are they really, the straw that stirs the drink in a modern NFL offense anymore and the answer is no like we already know that the answer is no but at the same time they have to they have to balance an offense but you can't just trust that that's going to be the thing that carries you so with that in mind i think the bills did a really great job of getting five players on the roster at probably Like I said, middle-of-the-pack cost and probably pretty good value. We're going to look at that as we go through this exercise. In terms of starters, it's murky. It is. I just have a question mark here on my rundown sheet because I really don't know who your starting running back is or what that term even means when you have a quarterback like Josh Allen. So that leads me to stats and statements of fact. Uh, Eight. Eight is a a good number to start this running back conversation at. Eight is is uh, the number of rushing touchdowns for Josh Allen in 2022, which tied all Bills running backs combined. That's not ideal. Josh Allen led all Bills runners in the following categories in 2022. 10-plus yards runs, the longest rush on the team. He led them in yards per carry. He was second on the roster in missed tackles forced. Again... You're talking about a team where your quarterback legitimately is statistically your best running back. James Cook ranked just 36th in targets for a running back. And Devin Singletary, 17th in the NFL in red zone carries. That was your running back one from last season, 17th in the NFL. When you want to talk about what went wrong for that position group in 2022, I think that right there underscores what some of the problem is. Nobody really asserted themselves. There was no option, no go to player who you looked at and said, you know, we've got Devin Singletary and he's amazing in the red zone. So when we get inside the 10 yard line, we're going to we can line up in some rush formations, but pound the rock and get seven on the board. Instead, we're playing the Miami Dolphins in week three, and we're throwing the football from inside the eight. Like They're dropping back and throwing passes in those scenarios because they didn't have a rush that they trusted. They didn't have a rusher that they trusted. Mm. Guys, Chris isn't here to make a cocktail for me. But I'll tell you what, shameless plug for a local Buffalo company. I'm sitting here and what I'm sipping is I'm sipping a Manhattan, right? It's probably one of the only cocktails I have the patience to make for myself. And at the same time, I didn't even have to really make this because here's what I'm doing. So, so this company that exists in downtown Buffalo called Maloria, Maloria forever instant cocktails. It sounds like bullshit, right? Labeled as a Manhattan. I got this for a Christmas gift. They're just sugar cubes. But the sugar cubes are made from Demerara Sugar, ag- Agnostra Aromatic Bitters, Woodford Reserved spice Cherry Bitters, Vermouth, Orange Extract, Cherry Extract. They're made right here in Buffalo, New York, and these things are amazing. You drop one of them in a glass, you throw a little bit of just a splash of hot water in there, melt, melt your sugar cube, and then you throw your ice and some bourbon in there. Well, in this case, rye. I'm drinking a bottle of Ruddles Mill rye. Comes in at about, what are we looking at? 94.4 proof Kentucky straight rye whiskey. It's delicious. And these things make an amazing cocktail. And I'm psyched about them because I can, I can, I, I've already bought more because I can put these in my luggage and I can take them places. I can travel with these. It's nice because I, I, I'm a guy. I like, you uh, know, if I go, if I stay in a hotel, I like a cock, I like a, a small bottle of liquor for the room, even if I'm only there for a night or two, because I don't know what's going on during the day. I might come back and want a nightcap. I love the fact that I don't have to buy the ingredients to make an actual, like, a well tasting cocktail when I'm on the road. I can just throw this in my suitcase, pick up a bottle at a liquor store near the airport, and be ready to go. So I'm sitting here sipping one of these, and it's delicious. In fact, it might be better than at least one eighth of the drinks Chris has made so far. I digress. I'm down here, I'm alone in my bar, and I'm just, I, I love the fact I'm comfortable. This is a home game for me. I'm really enjoying this. What I wasn't enjoying, though, was the way our running backs protected Josh Allen, right? So not only did we not have a rushing attack that was a consistent threat, we also had a rushing uh, running back group that was middle of the pack in terms of pass pro, which is problematic if you're a team that wants to pass the ball a ton. Or you know, for all the fans who pounded the table for it, there's no running back inclusion! Ah, there were no passes to the running backs. Well, you know what sucks? You can't have running backs who are pass-catching threats on the field if they can't pass-protect. You can't do that. It's a non-starter. So with that in mind, it was just a i mean, James Cook, we, had, we all had really high hopes for him. As a receiving back coming out of college, that was his threat. That was his mark. That, that was his moniker. He was going to come in here and give us a dynamic passing threat out of the backfield, and it was going to be the thing that kept, you know, when safeties played deep, we would have a James Cook to throw at them. And then they never materialized because he was quietly one of the worst pass blocking running backs in all of football, not just on the Bills roster. In all of football, statistically, with the number of pressures, for the number of pass-pro snaps given up, he got—he almost got out-snapped by Naheem Hines. And he, Hines wasn't even on the roster for most of the season. Like, he showed up in November, halfway through the year, and he almost saw as many passing-down snaps as James Cook did. That tells you everything you need to know right there. The team said, we don't trust you in these scenarios. Now, if you want to talk about what went right for the Bills running back group in 2022, they had a really strong finish from James Cook. Statistically, you know, everyone points to that and says, this is why I feel good about this. Statistically, James Cook was one of the NFL's more efficient running backs. You know, his yards, yards per carry, you know, 10 plus yards runs he started to pick up some steam you saw him finish the season looking like a more polished version of what they thought they were getting in the draft when they took him in the second round and so that's great like that is obviously it gives you optimism for what's what's to come and then also Hines proved that his value as a returner still exists even if you're not allowing him and I say allowing him because I really think this team did him a disservice you watched a couple games here and there Where he was allowed to come in and take a goal line, a goal line, like screen pass or something. But it was never him being put in an advantageous situation for him to show off the fact that he has great pass catching skills and he is a fast back. But he proved that he still has that speed and that burst and that open field elusiveness when you watched him return kicks for us. Like that New England game. Two return rushes in the same game for touchdowns. You, you I'm not making that. I, I don't know many people who are, and there's not a lot of kick returners in the NFL. I mean, he was the only one to score multiple kick return touchdowns. So it's the guys who hold that, are. it's kind of rarefied air. It takes the perfect storm of things, but it also takes it back with vision and enough speed to make the right cut, hit the hole and gear up and accelerate when he's being pursued. Hines proved he has that. I'm really happy he's back on the roster for another season that they found a way to get him on a reasonable contract. So when we pick up the actual conversation about the camp battle that's about to take place in front of us, running back one, I think back to our conversation with Anthony Prohaska last week during our Bills News Update and the fact that James Cook was on the Rich Eisen show and was emphatic that he is, quotes, I'm putting quotes around this, obviously the Bills running back one. And it's, it's hard to see. Right. Like, it's hard to look at this roster and go, like, first of all, you, you never hate anybody's confidence. This time of year, everybody has it. You know, just today I'm scrolling pro football talk and I see an article from crib from a Steelers beat reporter talking about how Gunnar Olszewski is out to prove everybody wrong. Don't sleep. He says, says, don't sleep on me. Uh, Carlton Bailey from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who just lost Tom Brady and are probably going to start Kyle Trask at quarterback or Baker Mayfield, if he can stay healthy, like that's what you're going to do. And Carlton Bailey goes, Oh, anybody, you know, who's thinking that the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers aren't going to come out and have a winning season. Like y'all, y'all just wait. Y'all going to be disappointed. I don't think we will be like, it's good to bet on yourself, obviously, but also again, this is optimism season. Like this is the time of year when everybody feels the best about everything. Running back one is tough when you look at the makeup of the Bills, Bills roster. You run it down from the top. You've got James Cook, Damian Harris, Latavius Murray, Hines, and Jordan Mims. And I think they brought in, uh, I think they brought in another player too for a tryout. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not Sanders. I don't know why that last name sounds familiar, but either way, I'm looking at this and I'm saying to myself, there's five running backs here. First of all, this isn't a football team that rushes much. We, we, we're not a heavy-rushing football team to begin with. I mean, when, when you look at it, just, just in terms of league ranks, we were 15th in attempts last year. So we do rush the football, but there again, when, you, when they're counting those statistics, a lot of those are skewed towards how often does your quarterback run? Like, if you just looked at carries, nothing more just carries. I think people would be fairly surprised how like, I think, what was it? I think I remember from a previous podcast this summer we were talking about how Devin Singletary had he was like 30th in carries in the NFL. There was multiple teams who had two running backs with more carries than our quote-unquote RB1. So I just look at that and I think to myself, first of all it's going to come down to just it's running back by committee but it's who makes the most of their opportunities, and then who has the tools and the development in order to do that? And I look and I say, James Cook is still a very unpolished product as a just a rusher, and that's going to hurt him, right? Especially if the Bills do get their way. Yeah, you just saw that they drafted uh, they drafted Dalton Kincaid. They bring him in here as a tight end, and they tried to this idea that there's going to be more twelve personnel. Yeah, I I I believe I saw a tweet today from Warren Sharp that said the Bills were like third, ran the third fewest twelve personnel package snaps in the NFL last season. But our our roster construction can tell you why that is. There was nobody. What did we have? Quentin Morris. Okay, Quentin Morris is the guy. He's he's our tight end too behind Dawson Knox. I'm not saying that I don't like Quentin Morris. I mean I'm not high on his longevity in terms of being a Buffalo Bill or being a starter for the Buffalo Bills, especially now that we spent a first round pick on one, but I can understand why they wouldn't necessarily want that guy on the field for 40% of our snaps. So with that in mind, you look at it and you say, if we are going to more 12 personnel, there may be more running back snaps to be had. So now it's just who has their game put together and already this skews away from James Cook. And maybe I'm crazy, but I look at this and I say to myself, Damian Harris, Latavius Murray, those two, those are two guys who over the course of their career have been reliable, very reliable in terms of being able to be leaned upon, trusted in just almost like an every down capacity, you know, the early down capacity. James Cook hasn't proven he can do that. So in terms of his ability to mesh with the the team this season and prove that he is that RB one that he obviously believes he is, I guess he's gonna first have to prove that he can get on the field and that he can his vision's improved. I think he had some problems just reading where his holes were supposed to be, and I think that, that with him there was a lot of. I don't know. I don't know how you want to describe it. But when you look at his rushing charts, you go to NFL Next Gen Stats and you pull up a season of his rushing charts. It's one of those things that becomes somewhat frustrating. And I think one of the things that frustrated me personally more than I don't want to say it was indecisiveness on Cook's part. I think he just needed to learn and understand blocking at the NFL level. And just how quickly those holes and opportunities close up on you, and it was made more frustrating for me watching, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs and watching Isaiah Pacheco. Uh, everybody remembers the time I made Greg Thompson flip out over the concept that, oh, you know, Whoa, I, you know it's, it sucks the Bills passed on Creed Humphrey to take uh, Boogie Basham, and he pointed out everybody passed on him. So it, it wasn't just Brandon Bean; it wasn't just a Bills mistake. Everybody passed on him twice. Isaiah Pacheco is another guy who strikes me like this because here's a guy who over the course of that season last year, you know, the Super Bowl winning season, was he took over the Chiefs running back duties. And a lot of it was because he just was a hard nose runner. He got upfield quickly. He lowered his head. And for not being a big back, I mean, if I were to hit the old Google machine and pull up Isaiah Pacheco's RAS card. From over at uh, Kentley Platy Math Bomb on Twitter. The thing that you're immediately surprised by, right? <clears throat> this thing where you go, he's not the biggest back. He's only 5'10. He's solid, though. He weighs 216 pounds. He's strong in the fact that he bench pressed 27 reps. And then you look at his 10, 40 yard dash with his 20 yard split, right? A 4.340 at 216 pounds and 5'10. With a 2.5 second split, those are elite speed grades. His shuttle, three cone, you know, everything, his agility drills were kind of mediocre, but you saw what that athletic testing, like the way he tested, you saw that on the field for the Chiefs in the sense that there was no hesitation to his game. He hit holes, he hit them hard, he made contact, generated yards after the contact, and churned out a lot of really great performances for the Chiefs last year. Cook needs to figure out that piece of his game. There needs to be a little more physicality from James Cook. There needs to be, or if you're not going to have it, like, LaShawn McCoy didn't need, he didn't need, you know, strength. He didn't need to power through people. What made LaShawn McCoy special was his speed and vision and the combination of those two things. What I hate watching is athletic backs who don't, take advantage of that because either their vision is poor, they make their decisions too slow. It's whatever it is. James cook needs to figure it out because what his game is predicated on is a few things, catching the ball, And being this like one, you know, kind of almost like cutback style runner where you think we can get a defense moving one way. His agility and his flat foot speed will get him going the other way and he can beat guys around the corner. He can find creases and you saw some plays. He scored a touchdown against the Bears where it was a really nice. He found a seam, ran up the middle of the defense and then just angled away from the safety and the safety couldn't catch him because he was too fast. Perfect. Perfect execution. The thing is, is you need to see that with more consistency against defenses that aren't fucking Chicago. Because let's face it, there's half the half the SEC had a defense that was just as good as Chicago's last year. And so with that in mind, I look at him and I say for as many people pounding the table saying this is, you know, this is his year. He's going to take a step forward. He's got to develop a lot. And unfortunately, it's nothing physical that he can develop because he already has the speed. He already has soft hands. He can catch well. Although those fumbles, I think got him in the doghouse a little bit last year. Realistically, it just comes down to his ability to, it's, it's all between the ears. And that's tough. That's a tough hill to climb as a football player because you come into the NFL pretty instinctually ready to a certain degree. And so, you know, you can sharpen up, you know, there's things you polish. It is rare that you see a guy make a gigantic leap. In terms of his understanding of the game of football from one year to the next, usually it's a two or three year ramp up if you're going to make that kind of acclimation. So it'll be interesting for him this camp. How does he mesh what his his snaps and where he gets his snaps is going to tell us a lot about what the coaches think about how he's looking in meetings, how he's processing the information, his whiteboard stuff. It's going to show us a lot about what they think about his development thus far. I, the 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 one who kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit when I'm trying to figure out what we do here. Latavius Murray, he's got like right guys, he's gotta be the break glass in case of emergency practice squad guy. And he's gotta kind of know that, given the contract he signed and just the fact that he sought out Buffalo a little bit. Now, I hate it when I hate it when this caliber of player says something like that because in my head I go Latavius Murray, you're old as shit. <laughs> I don't know what you thought your options were. Uh There's not a whole lot of contenders who are coming knocking at the door. We just happen to be strapped for cash, so it's man. See, this is where I wish I had Chris because I had him play that numbers drop where it's like, "Hey, come on, sweetie, now don't be a bitch. Let's talk some numbers." That's basically it. It's that that was Brandon being going door to door saying, "Listen, how many veteran running backs want to take a pay cut to come play for somebody who might be good?" So with that in mind, you've got Latavius Murray, who's I don't I don't know what he is at this point in his career, but he will be that veteran player who sits on the practice squad. One thing I'm disappointed by is that last year we had a pretty good running back on the practice squad in. um, What's his face there? He was he was like a fantasy football darling of a lot of people. I'm thinking back to last year's roster construction, and it's just it's escaping me, guys. Hey, Call in if you know who was the other special teams are not special teams, but practice squad running back for the Buffalo Bills because he I felt like he had a decent preseason. And I feel like they as a group, I mean, they let that Blackshear kid go. And then he went on to score, I think, three rushing touchdowns with Carolina last year. And that frustrated me because I go, clearly the kid can run. Why isn't he doing it in the Bills uniform? But in any event. The Bills have done this thing where they kind of they stash guys on their practice squad and then don't really utilize them. And it's almost like those players get in the doghouse and just can't get out. You know, Matt Breda was one of them Um, last year. uh, TJ Yeldon was one of these guys. And it's not that they're not talented backs. We just refuse to utilize them for whatever reason. And I feel like Latavius Murray is doomed to assume that role. Like, I just, I think that, that, that's his place here for the Buffalo Bills. Naheem Hines, you know, there's a recent pro football talk article about Naheem Hines and this idea that he's ready to take on whatever, an expanded role. And it's based on some comments Brandon Beans made recently about how he's ready to expand his role and he's ready to do more things for the Buffalo Bills and that he could be used in any capacity of the game. That's great. Right. Like, that's wonderful. But at the same time, what we what we know about our coaching staff is that they do not utilize the whoever the returner is doesn't get much run anywhere else. I think that they really do. And I think that their free agency signings have proven that they love prioritizing at fucking special teams. It to, to it's, it's almost ad nauseum. They, they pride themselves on having an upper echelon special teams unit. And that's really frustrating sometimes when you think about it in just in terms of what that costs you in resources and what your what your return on investment is. But you saw them do it with Naheem Hines last year. Right. They go back and they say. Hines, we can't give you carries. Who else will return the kicks? McDermott himself has admitted that he does not like utilizing guys who play multiple roles in return capacities because he's and he's mentioned it. He goes, well, then if there's an injury and that guy goes down, well, now I'm sunk at two positions, not just one. I mean, I guess if you want to apply that logic to it, fucking clapper, what? I just to me that almost feels like coaching scared. Like, "Oh, oh my god, I'm so nervous about this injury that go go put your best players out there in positions to be effective." I mean, the the what Miami Dolphins were using Tyreek Hill at certain points as a punt returner. Why? Because he was their most dynamic player and they said, "Listen, if we're in need, we will put him back there and maybe try to, I don't know, flip the dynamic of a game." So, it's great That people are now commenting about how they think Hines can take on this new role, which is something I guess we're going to have to talk about here in the back half of the show when we get to the special teams unit. The question is that if he's going to contribute as a running back for the Buffalo Bills, you know, in a pass catching capacity, a rushing capacity, if he's going to do that, then the team has to have somebody else who steps forward to take that return role in some capacity. And if it doesn't happen. I really don't see a road forward where Naheem Hines is going to be contributing at any sort of a significant level. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that everybody turns around here in you know two months. What are we in July? When September rolls around and they go, that Drew guy's an asshole for sitting down here talking about how Naheem Hines was never going to get a shot. Look at him now; he's shining as a receiving back. Listen, Ali Crow, I. Pfft, Whatever. I, I'm not one of those people. That's why I hate draft season. When everyone's like, oh, look at the one thing I got right. Go fuck yourself. There's a million of them you got wrong. It doesn't matter. This is like, whose line is it anyway? The points don't matter and everything's made up. With that in mind, I, I think it really, like, there's a lot of dominoes that have to fall correctly for Naheem Hines to have a real road forward as a contributor offensively for this football team. So... You've got the undrafted f- f- what the college free agent, Jordan Mims. You've got Naheem Hines. You've got Latavius Murray, who's kind of just here. And then you have Damian Harris. And Damian Harris is extremely interesting to me. And no, before you say it, it's not just because he went to Alabama. Although I wish I had a Dixie horn I could blow right now. See, Chris, why don't you have one of those loaded on the pod track? Now, that would be Nice. Oh, God, this hand is delicious. Damian Harris is interesting when you look at the dynamic of what, you know, when people look at him, they go, okay, so he's your Singletary replacement, but he's different from Singletary, but that maybe that's a good thing for where the Buffalo Bills are trying to go. I'll, I'll tell you why I say that. Now, last season, Damian Harris was injured he was injured and played for a patriots team that just hit on a you know, Ramondre Stevenson draft pick who he is very very good. I look at Damian Harris and then I look at Devin Singletary and I go back I say okay so you're injured last year I'm going to throw that out. Let's go back to 2021 because Singletary didn't you know when you look at his career game logs it wasn't like he had a career season last year. Right? Like it wasn't anything in fact, like, let me let me give that a goog. <laughs> Chris is gonna hate this. I'm over I'm over here just playing like every time I take a break and go to Google. First of all, this is hard to do without Chris. Me having to this is how lazy I've gotten. This is how spoiled I am as a podcaster. I, I'm just used to having a, a Jamie Vernon over here Googling things on a whim. I can just snap my fingers and go, Chris, Google this thing and put it on the TV in front of me. I'm lazy. I don't want to use my fingers. Now I have to sit here and bang away at this keyboard like a chimp trying to write Shakespeare. It's not great. And I think what it's proven is that I've gotten spoiled as a podcaster. But anyways, back to our conversation about Devin Singletary. Singletary in 2021, right? Like uh, 2022, he... Had fewer yards than he had in 21 and fewer touchdowns. So, if you want to compare, 2021 was his career best season 870 yards, seven touchdowns. You know, he was pretty good. Decent, catch, you know, good catch percentage, pretty middling yards per target. So, I wanted to dig into some of the finer metrics to see how these two stack up. Because one of the things about Damian Harris, like, he came into college like watching him come out of Alabama. He wasn't the most talented back on that team at that point. It was Josh Jacobs. He shared a field with Josh Jacobs. And at first, Josh Jacobs didn't get a ton of run with Alabama right out of the gate. Harris had a lot of the snaps, but then you watched Josh Jacobs become the more impactful running back. And by the end of the season, Jacobs was the guy. Harris was kind of a complimentary back. And then Harris, uh, Josh Jacobs becomes a first-round pick in the NFL.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: And Harris, I believe, was a fourth-round pick. If I'm calling myself the top, my head, he was a fourth-round pick for the Patriots. And that was just because you saw a guy who wasn't as explosive. His footwork was a little sloppy. In fact, I think Matt Waldman talked about this during our running back preview show. If you guys want to go back and listen to that, our running back draft preview show Matt Waldman was pretty adamant that the Bills don't need to draft a running back this year because you have Damian Harris and Damian Harris is going to be better than anything you've gotten from Devin Singletary or any other running back on your roster in the last few years. And, you know, we talked about how he cleaned up his footwork and stuff. In fact, I'll have Chris go pull some of that audio, but go back and check out that conversation if you want to figure out where this conversation's heading as far as ahead of camp. I look at this and I go, he does have cleaner footwork and he does have a, a better second gear than anything Singletary ever gave us. So I look at this and I, I look into some of the finer metrics from NFL next gen stats and there's a couple things that stand out to me. First of all, Singletary in his best career, career best season in 2021 only ran against eight or more defenders in the box 13.8% of the time, which was eighth fewest in the NFL. And yet his rush yards over expected per rush was 0.28. Now, rush yards overexpected is a fancy way to say where you were on the field occupied the exact same space as another defender or within a reasonable proximity that you should be tackled. How many more yards did you generate after you entered that area? And then you just kind of extrapolate that over the course of a season. He finished with 52 total. Not terrible, but not great especially for a guy who's running against light boxes more often than not. What what does that mean? 70-something percent of his carries? It's 87 percent. Meanwhile, you you flip the table and you go over to Damian Harris in 2021. Rush yards over expected. 0.67, which was sixth best in the NFL. And he had 132 of those yards for the year. Kind of illustrating, he has a little more elusiveness than you give him credit for, and he does have a little bit of a little more high end speed. Scored 15 touchdowns, which was second most in the NFL behind James Taylor. And when it came to rushing against stacked boxes, he had the eighth most in the NFL at 31.68. Now, that'll tell you something. Like, first of all, it's not, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out. The Patriots haven't had a real passing threat since Tom Brady left. So there was no star quarterback on that Patriots roster to camouflage him. Those yards, the elusiveness, the touchdowns, he earned a lot of that the hard way. Just vision and footwork and a surprising amount of burst. And then also just enough opportunities. Now, do I think he's going to come in here and give the Buffalo Bills 15 rushing touchdowns? Probably not. But do I think that inside the 10 yard line, you now have an option that you feel a little bit more comfortable than a Devin Singletary going, Hey, I'll give you the ball and I trust you can get it from point A to point B faster than us trying to ram our quarterback in there. Yeah. I feel like I feel a little bit better about that concept. Now, the question about Harris, how much you, how much have injuries robbed him of that burst that he's going to need to pull that off, right? Because there's a lot of teams who didn't opt to sign him to a more lucrative contract. It wasn't like he got paid a ton of money and there was a lot of teams that had a crack at him. The reality is, is that if you're stocking your cupboard for the cheap, though, you could do a lot worse than a Damian Harris. A lot worse. Like, I look around right, right now. Like, if I look around AFC depth charts and I take a look at the running back position and I say, okay, we have a Damian Harris who's maybe number two, running back two, running back one. And then I come back and I say, okay, I really like what the Ravens have in Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins. I hate that they had the injuries that they had because it will be a like JK Dobbins flashed a little bit at the end of last year showing maybe he's back. Gus Edwards has always been a sleeper for me because I just feel like in the right situation that guy could flourish. He's good, but then Joe Mixon, and then nobody behind him. They lost some AJP run in free agency. Nick Chubb used to have Kareem Hunt, but now he's got someone called Jerome Ford. Najee Harris, right? Great. Another Alabama product. Great running back. His backup is something called Jalen Warren and an Anthony McFarland Jr., who I've never heard of. You go on down the stretch and what you what you realize is there's not a lot of teams in the AFC with great running back stables. You know, maybe maybe the Tennessee Titans have one now. They you know, they have Derrick Henry and they drafted Tajay Spears. Maybe he's great. Hassan Haskins is under investigation for some criminality. I don't know how that's gonna play out, but either way, he's a rookie and he's a dart throw as a a running back out of Michigan who just wasn't as fast as you would want him to be. He's more just toughness and athleticism, which gets you a little bit of the way, but I don't know how far. Uh, hilariously, Tank Bigsby is listed as the uh, running back two in Jacksonville. I think that's really funny. Uh Tank Bigsby, Travis Etienne. So you've got some teams that have some legitimate combinations of players, right? Like, you've got some teams here that can do... Like I think the Jets might quietly... I mean, when you just look at the AFC East, Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert, we saw what they were. Neither one of those guys scare me. Devin Ashane could be something, but there again, he's a third-round pick. Those guys, we his vision, he's pure speed, that vision and strength and... Knowledge of when to turn it on could take some time to acclimate, as we're seeing with James Cook. Ramondre Stevenson's a great number 1, but Ty Montgomery and Pierre Strong, Pierre Strong didn't play at all last year. Ty Montgomery has been bounced around. He gets passed around teams. There's a joke there to be made, but I'm going to be nice. You get what I'm saying. But then you look at the Jets, and they, they have a Banaconda, Israel Banaconda, who was a A running back a lot of people liked in this draft class. Michael Carter, great pass catching back. Zonovan Knight, who was a great fill-in for a week or two. Brees Hall, when he's healthy, that looks like probably one of the most intimidating running back stables in the entire AFC. But they're going to need it to try to protect that quarterback because I think Aaron Rodgers and that offensive line, there's just a lot of work that they have to do there. You go back and you look over the course of this. There is no team with a stacked running back core. And yet a lot of these guys are paying a lot more money, right? Like the second Josh Jacobs signs his franchise tag, the Raiders are paying significantly more money than the Bills. It's just that's what it comes down to is what do you want and how much depth and how many options do you want to have? And what did it cost you? I think the Bills did a really, really good job. When you look around the NFL, I mean, if Zach Moss was worth the shit, I'd say that Indy would be in that conversation too. But unfortunately, they're not. So you just you look at this, and I say, okay, I can do a lot worse than this. And if and if Harris rounds back into form. He could be a much more potent back when you consider how much meat was left on the bone, but the fact that Singletary just wasn't that great of an athlete. Like, if you want to compare them both on just a, a RAS basis, Damian Harris is nothing special. He scores a 6.41 RAS score, has a decent explosion grade, but just okay speed. His 20 yard split wasn't great. Like, average, average right? And not great agility grades. He's kind of just one cut. I'm going to try to get a field, but he's got a little footwork at the line of scrimmage so he can find the hole and knows how to press it properly. Devin Singletary scored a 1.73 on the Ras scale. Now he obviously has played better NFL football than that, but it tells it. It's like his lack of high end speed showed up a lot. There's times where you go. "Oh, Our quarterback has the longest run of the season. How how does that happen? Oh, it's because our running backs are just not that fast. Or at least this one isn't. The one getting the bulk of the carries just isn't that fast. He's also not that agile. So, so he, I don't know what you're doing here. You're, you're a jack of all trades. Your contact balance got you farther than your athletic chop should have. So, with that in mind, if Harris rounds back into form, He's a better athlete than what we got at a single Terrier, and at the same time, if you as a team are committing to going more twelve personnel but throwing the football with a Dawson Knox and a Kincaid and a Diggs out there and a Gabe Davis, there's going to be opportunities for him to really make some plays. Now, I'm that's what I'm interested to see when it comes to camp is what what is his mix into that rotation because obviously the opportunity for him to be great in this offense is there. The question is, do like when they go out of 12 personnel, who's the running back that you see most often lined up back there? I I'm willing to wager that it's you're going to see a lot more Harris than you expect. I think that he's going to come in. It might even take some time. Maybe they do give it to Cook initially out of the gate, but I just think that what I know about him and what I've seen, what we've seen, that what the statistics tell me, is that eventually over the course of this season, if he is fully recovered from his injuries from last year. Yeah, I hope this isn't another AJ O.J. Howard situation where you sign the guy thinking that he was what he and you find out he's just a robot and that he he's just too stiff as an athlete to really give you what you thought you were gonna get from him, so you have to scrap that fucking plan too. Please don't let this be a repeat of that. But with that in mind, I really have to believe that. Harris will mix in more and more as camp goes on. And I think situationally red zone rushing. I want to see what that looks like. I want to see when they go 12 personnel and they actually start contacted practices where there's real blocking. What does it look like? Who's taking those snaps? I don't know. I, I just feel like that's where that's where you're going to find out who your running back one is. And then. That's where you start to determine the pecking order, because we if we already have chalked up that Latavius Murray isn't making this the the game day roster, then okay. but Harris could be there's a world where Harris is running back one cook retains his role and Naheem Hines cuts into his pass catching targets because the kid just is a small running back can't learn how to pass protect. At which point you're not going to throw him out there because as me and Anthony uh, from cover one talked about a week ago, the defense can dictate to you that you have to keep that guy in. And oh, by the way, he sucks at blocking. So good luck. Overload aside, make it his responsibility to stay in and block. And then, oh, by the way, he can't block that guy. That's a recipe for disaster. And so in that way, they have to be cognizant of that entering 2022 or 2023. And I really think that how they dole out these snaps and how the pecking order of this running back room works itself out in training camp. I I just I believe in Harris. And I think that Cook has a long way to grow in that capacity before he'll be trusted for a lot of passing down work. I think there's a world where Hines is going to challenge him more than people expect. Now, again, a lot of that depends on what happens with the special teams. And that's why we're here to talk about that next. Your special teams and your specialists. First of all, your cap cost. Your specialists, your punter, your kicker, and your long snapper, cost you $4.8 million, which is just 2.1% of your cap, which is 27th in the NFL considering tyler bass is pretty fucking good i call that a steal now he's he's not exactly uh you know he he's not exactly what do you want to call it dumb from the he, he's not uh he's not tucker right like he's not in that conversation but very few people are i i think that realistically when you think about kickers and you think about who's great Who's not great? I mean, I try to stay. Kicker's such a tough thing. It's like trying to judge punters. What makes a great punter? What makes an elite punter? You know, Brian Mormon. We all have warm and fuzzy feelings about Brian Mormon. Statistically, I mean, he made a Pro Bowl. He was good in some statistical categories that I guess matter, but I think that it's hard to judge because their statistics are very, skewed like the Bills were 12th in the NFL in field goal percentage. So does that mean that there's 12 that there's 11 kickers better than Tyler Bass or that there's 11 other kickers? I would want to try to kick me a 59 yard field goal to tie a football game. No, but that's what the numbers say. The numbers say that he's the 12th best. That's why I just statistically it's hard to rank these guys. But if I'm looking for stats and facts of note for the special teams unit as a whole, number one DVOA in the entire NFL last season, Naheem Hines, 700 kick return yards, which is seventh in the NFL. He was the only player with more than one kick return touchdown. Now, when you look at what went wrong in 2022 for the special teams unit, there wasn't much. I mean, you're that good at what you do. I mean, if I'm, if I had to split hairs here, there's two that come to mind. The first one is that Saran Neal had kind of a down year both on the field as a defender, which is why I think in a lot of situations he got overlooked and also on special teams. He had a lot of missed tackles this season. Quietly had a down year from what we've, there's a reason they gave him a contract extension despite the fact that he's not a starter. He doesn't see the field much. They love what he They loved his, his ability to step in, you know, be that break glass in case of emergency defensive back who can do a little bit of slot corner, who can do a little bit of safety stuff for you. And at the same time, he's a good special teams player. Just a lot of gaffes last year. So they, that has to get cleaned up. And then uh, Reed Ferguson. Our friend Reed Ferguson went the whole season out recording a single fucking tackle. I break his balls about this. I go, dude, is this the year? And he goes, what? I go, what are your goals for this season? He goes, well, you know, we want to do this and we want to do that because he's talking about what he does. Like as a part of this kicking unit. Well, our goal is this. And our goal is to have a certain percentage of here and blah, 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 And I go, buddy, that's not what I asked you. What's your goal? And then he'll look at me and I go, why don't you try getting two fucking tackles this time? Just two, like. My mind, when I think about Reed on special teams, goes back to there was a game and uh, Mike Tolbert was on the roster. That's how long ago this was. Mike Tolbert was on the roster. And there's a play where there's a fumble on the kick return. And Reed, when you go back and watch the replay, his eyes get big like a cartoon character. And he sees it and like you can almost see the excitement on his face. like. Holy shit, I'm about to touch the, I'm about to touch a live NFL ball. I'm going to recover a fumble. He's going down to get it. And Mike Tolbert, who for a running back outweighed Reed by about 20 pounds, just blasts him from the fucking (laughs) blindside, knocks him out of the way and recovers the fumble. I bring that up at least once a year. Just to remind him, like, hey, remember that time you were almost right there? I go, you were closer than me, right? Like, you're closer than I'll ever get to recovering an NFL fumble. But you didn't quite seal the deal, did you? Now, you'll get, someday, someday you'll get one. But yeah, not, not in 2022, he didn't. Now, if you want to talk about what went right overall for the, this unit in 2022, Tyler Bass continued to be clutch with multiple game winning kicks for the first time in his career. I think that was a big part of this team's step forward was the idea that you now have de- you've developed a kicker who you drafted you know, where you should draft a kicker. Not like these, who was the idiot team this year that drafted a kicker in what the, like, I think the third round there was uh, one team that did it. I want to say the second, it was the Aguayo kid. I remember he got drafted and he was a, he was a hilarious failure. It's so like, guys, kickers, it's like, the, it's like, like I can understand, I mean, we don't forgive it, but I can understand being the guy at a fantasy football draft. You've had a bunch of wobbly pops. You, you hate the way your team looks on paper. You're getting desperate. So you go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to start a run on kickers. And then hopefully I'll, that pick will get me the best kicker. And it will also, push another talented like tier three wide receiver down to me on the come around. So you see a guy draft Justin Tucker in like the sixth round or seventh round of a fantasy football draft and nobody, nobody takes the fucking bait. And now that kid's just sitting there watching the board (laughs) stewing in it. And I feel like that's every team that picks a kicker in the top 90, Because you pick that guy, and then you sit there while everybody roasts you going, I know more than you. I'm smart. I had a plan. And it inevitably blows up in your fucking face. Right? It never goes the way that you intend. It can't. It's impossible. Or or if you're the Patriots, I love the fact that the Patriots drafted a kid, Justin Rohrwasser. Rohrwasser. Like... Spelled like you would expect it to be the Luftwaffen. And, and then they go, Oh, actually, we found out that we had to cut him afterwards because we found out he was anti-Semitic. And you go, y- y- You didn't think? You didn't, you didn't think that there was a, uh, maybe not, maybe a chance. And that's not me talking about his last name. The guy was literally covered in tattoos. And they're like, Oh, wait a minute. Some of those might be anti-Semitic. Yikes. And you go, Oh, you didn't do your due diligence before the fucking draft. You didn't bother looking into that at all. Awesome. Hilarious. So we draft this kid in the fifth round. Small kicker. You know, realistically, when you think of guys who can boot the ball, Justin Tucker's a big guy. He's tall. He's lean, but he's tall and he's long and he's got leverage. You think of the Janikowskis of the world who was just a garbage can with legs and he just got out there. <laughs> he was this big, beefy, like trash can with legs that just went out there and hammered footballs. You think of those guys as the one who can put through a 60-yarder. Not this kind of scrawny-looking kid from Georgia Southern who just has the right mechanics. He's just got the right stroke for it. And there was times, like, he would get some opportunities, and he there was a growing process. He made some mistakes his rookie season. You watched him get better last year or the year before last. Last year, the team... Basically, things came down to the wire in two different games that were must wins, the Baltimore game and the Miami game. Now, there's a good chance that if he doesn't sink both of those kicks to ice the game, the coach trusts him unequivocally not to fuck it up. So he runs the clock down till there's no time. He goes, listen, this is it. This is how we win. If he doesn't sink both of those, there's a chance that the Bills are on the road for the wild card round last year. Like, it's it's entirely possible. So, with that in mind, I look at that and I say that he, he finally has earned the respect of the coaching staff. They trust him. They also trust Reed and they trust Sam, the the, the punter, to do their jobs and execute these things appropriately in high-pressure situations. I like that. Like I love that about this team's development. So when you think about the special teams unit for the Buffalo Bills in 2023, here entering training camp, there are some interesting dynamics as far as what the makeup of that unit's going to be. One thing I did was I pulled last year's snap counts. The Bills have brought back almost everybody who played more than 20% of their special team snaps. The only two who didn't come back were Jaquan Johnson and Taiwan Jones. Now Taiwan Jones is a big deal. You NFL veteran. He's been with the bills in a special teams capacity for, for what feels like forever. And realistically you say to yourself, what does that mean? Well, if all these guys are back, it means the team trusts them to keep doing that thing. And so then you take a look at the roster and you say, "Okay, which of these rookies or young players might have a chance to unseat one of these guys?" Because if they don't, the odds are they don't they just don't have a spot on the roster at all. And I see this and I look and you've got you know, you've got some players, but it's interesting the makeup of the special teams group. Because when you look at last year, they had one, two, three, four, five linebackers playing significant special team snaps for them over the course of the year. Uh, Tyler Maticiewicz, obviously, he's he's dirty red. He's the guy who's going to lead the charge again this year if he's healthy. Then Tyrell Dodson and Terrell Bernard come in around 67% of your snaps. So they're out there a lot of the time on your coverage units. Cam Lewis fills in. Balin Spector is getting special team snaps. All of these guys are now going to be competing for the right to be a starting linebacker for this team. And if that happens, that's another that's another hole vacated on the special teams roster. Now, Tyrell Dodson, I, I have it just this bad feeling in my gut that they're going to give him first crack at earning that starting middle linebacker job. But regardless of who takes it, someone on this roster, if you look at that linebacker group, because I think they like linebackers. They just like athletic linebackers because by default, you as a linebacker chase and tackle. It's what you do. So that has value on special teams. And I think that the execution of that, the fact that we're the number one special teams unit in football tells you there's maybe some logic to that. But you look at this and you say, okay, they bring in Dorian Williams. They've already said he's a third-round pick. He's going to be on the team. And they said he's going to be a, you know, a special teamer, probably. So, if nothing else, let's let's say that takes the free spot given up by Jaquan Johnson. So, I'll block that one off my list. So, then, now we're looking at this and I say, okay, I see two jobs. It's whoever wins the linebacker competition and then whoever's going to fill in for Taiwan Jones. Well... You've got guys, like, there's some cornerbacks out there. I don't know if they'd put a cornerback on there because realistically, I don't think, like, Saran Neal's listed as a cornerback, but he was drafted as a safety. Cam Lewis played safety last year. He's listed as a cornerback, depending on what outlet you're looking at. They don't put CBs out there on the, the, the special teams unit. And interestingly enough, they also had no wide receivers on their coverage unit, a year removed from losing Jake Kummerow. That was a role that Jake Kummerow held. And I feel like the team misses that value. They miss the value of having a fifth or sixth wide receiver option who you can still throw out there on certain passing plays and get some value, get some production. And at the same time, here's a guy who can be a, was a physical gunner for you. He was fast. He, he was just smart. He understood the process. I start to look at the chart and I go, okay, well, who can give us that? Justin Shorter stands out like a sore thumb, right? Your fifth round pick, not all fifth round picks make rosters, but at the same time, Justin Shorter with his size and that combination of speed, I almost feel like he's a shoe in. He's a shoe in to take, the, so we'll call it the Taiwan Jones job. So now all you have left is one spot that's up for grabs in this specialist group or the special teams coverage unit group. You start looking around the roster and the thing, you know, to bring this back to what I was talking about with the running backs and Naheem Hines, the question is, is there anybody in this group who can take over as a returner so that you can get more offensive utility from Naheem Hines? Or is the team finally willing to break from some of the philosophies they've been employing over the last... McDermott's been here for six years, so seven years, six years. God, booze. It's a terrible thing. It's the source of and solution to a lot of my problems. But you look at who's here. There's no one on the roster that screams returner to me except for Naheem minds. That's it. There's not another person on the roster right now that I see, you know, maybe you talk about Khalil Shakir, right? Maybe that's the answer. And you say, "Hey, we're going to go, we're going to make Khalil Shakir, you know, if we're flushing out our our wide receiver depth chart and we want to go Davis, Diggs, Sherfield, Hardy, like they're they're paying those guys enough, and I think Sherfield's earned it just through his reputation as a run blocker and just kind of what he brings to the table as a pass catcher and his straight-line speed. He deserves to be in that conversation for a top-four spot. And so then beyond that, it's Shorter and it's Khalil. I don't know if Shorter's a returner. He's too upright. He's too big. Maybe Shakir's that guy? And if he can show that he has some utility in a return capacity... Now you open the door to give Hines a little bit more runway as an actual running back. But if not, if over the course of training camp, nobody else steps up and earns a return job. I feel like it only could mean bad things for Naheem Hines and his future as a real offensive piece of production for the Buffalo Bills. So that's the thing I'm going to be watching when camp breaks is. Who are they doling out these snaps to to return? Obviously, Harris Hines is going to get looks. Who are they bringing in in a second-string capacity? That's what's going to interest me in this returner role. Like, who is going to be the person who, like, is it Cook? Do they decide that, hey, we're going to give Cook a look in some of these things? Is it Shakir? I mean, I'm just interested to see how they dole that out, if their intent really, truly is to make Hines a a real part of this offensive approach. I don't know. There's enough meat on the bone that both of these positions do have some, some notes of interest ahead of training camp. I know I'm excited about all this stuff. You know what else I'm excited about? Is the fact that I just finished a podcast in my own house drinking my own booze, Made the way I like it, Chris. And now all I have to do is shut this shit off and walk upstairs. It's pretty great. I'm not gonna lie to you. You all should try it sometime. Guys, this has been fun. I like doing this from the confines of my own home. But for tonight, I gotta get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. There is no Chris Kruger. And this has been your Rock Pile Report. <laughs>